Numbers chapter 6, if you would, tonight. Now, we often use numbers as a benediction. That is, I've read that more than once before we dismiss ourselves from a meeting, before we go, because it was the way that God told Aaron to bless the people Israel. Now, if God gave these instructions as a blessing, then I wouldn't mind having the same blessing on me. And if it worked for them, it'll still work for you because the things written in the old times, Romans 15, were written for us. So what they did, we can learn something from it, see the principle of it, and make application of it in our own lives. Now, I'm going to title this message tonight, If He Blesses, Are We Blessed? That's a question. If God is blessing people, are you the people that are being blessed? Now, you can answer that later on, but that's a question I want you to think about. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 23, speaking to Aaron and to his sons, saying, On this wise, or like this, you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, verse 24, 25, and 26, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Now you see that in verse 24, he said, the Lord bless thee. Now, I like being blessed. I like the idea of being blessed. In my lifetime, I have enjoyed the reality when a blessing came my way or when some special way God brought a blessing into my life. That's always been good. I have never been offended at God's blessing. And God, in many, trust me with this, far too many to cover tonight. I've just selected a few. But in so many different ways, many different categories, God said he would bring a blessing on people if then you get blessed. And so if these things are available to us, God has spoken all of this, and, and it's ours. And if a lot of Christian people, or if any of us here are not being blessed like that, either it's because we haven't heard it and didn't know it, and therefore we're just not conscious of it, or we have forgotten it having heard it, or maybe we heard it and just didn't really believe it would happen. You know, we've heard about what God does so often, but it seems like he's never done anything for us. Well, there could be a real good reason, very obvious reason, or reasons, plural, that he hasn't. But if God wants to bless people, we should be blessed. And from my side, standing here tonight, is to bring information concerning that. Blessing is like faith. God will never tell you too much. He wants to bless you. You'll never get to the place where you said, God, can't you say something else? Because all blessings are given graciously, that is, undeservedly. It is God who promotes it. It is God who gives it. It is God who wants his people to be blessed. Now, in the 24th verse, he said, the Lord bless you. That is, may the Lord single you out for divine favor. That it may go well with you better than it does with the ordinary 
person who doesn't belong to God, the sinner in the world. He's blessed with rain and air to breathe and good health a lot of times too, but we're talking here about us. He said, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Now the word keep means preserve you, guard you. That'd be nice to have, wouldn't it? To have God like assign an angel to watch about you and keep you, to make sure that you're secure. I mean, you are special to God. You're not just a somebody. Everybody who belongs to God is a special person, a special somebody. We'll see that in just a moment when we get started. A special choice that God made. He can make any choice he wants to and save anybody he wants to, but he saves certain ones. Those are his choices. I'm trying not to get there now, but I'm about to. Verse 25, may the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. What does that mean? Well, obviously, face shining upon you is a very evident presence of God in your life. This is a way of saying, may God relate to you in a special way. So that it's like his face shines upon you. That's special favor also. Something that all of God's people wanted. And when he talks about his face shining upon you and revelation, there are many verses in the Psalms where this is used. Lord, make your face to shine upon us. And it says like three times, and we will be saved. Or may the countenance of thy presence be with us. It was a special way that the Hebrew or the Jewish people understood God's special relationship to his people especially when delivering them, when blessing them, when providing for them and taking care of them. And it was all because that was with them. And this is one of the ways that he, in blessing them, say, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Not somebody else, not anybody or everybody, but upon you, you in particular. And then he ends in verse 25, that verse, he says, may the Lord be gracious unto you. Verse 26, again, is talking about what he said about his face shining upon you, but may his countenance in verse 26 be upon you and give you peace. Now, that would be a wonderful way for a man's life to be blessed. To have God in a very special way reveal himself to you or manifest himself to you and take special care of you to make you special. This would do something in your heart to cause you to want more of what he has. But he said to Aaron, on this way, I want you to bless the people of Israel. If I said to you tonight, I'm not Aaron, but if I said to you tonight, may the Lord bless you as he did his people of old. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and so forth. Would you receive that? Because you see, that's something that not everybody is allowed to have. God says, on this wise, you will bless the people of Israel and you will bless them with words. And the words will convey a deeper meaning because words will show them, words will describe how it is God wants us to be blessed to wake up every morning and know that God is on your side, that God is not your adversary, he's your defender. No matter how it seems life is going for you, to know that he is there and that his special provisions belong to you. I think that would be a wonderful theme. 
throughout the scripture, Deuteronomy 28. He said, these blessings shall come up on thee and overtake thee. And he begins to tell you like the next 15 verses, the various ways that God wants to bless you. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. That everything you put your hand to will prosper. In your house, your basket and your store, your freezer, refrigerator, all your provisions will be complete. Like we talked about Sunday, having abundance. Abundant there means more than enough. I'm kind of on this train of thought right now. This is what God has for us, especially in a time in which so many people are complaining about the economy, speaking and talking about struggling, and oh, I don't know what we're going to do. They talk like that when God never said these blessings won't work in a time of economic slowdown. It doesn't say that. Just like you could go to a foreign country like India. I had people tell me way back in the 80s when I was over there, well, you know, the things you preach here won't work over there. You know, God is the same wherever people are. Situations and circumstances don't limit God. We limit God. We see God from the American standpoint as, yeah, well, he can do that here, but he couldn't do it in Africa or India. Why not? When you look at places where people are in poverty and living in squalor, you find people that are living under a curse. For generations, they have been serving false gods. They've been dedicating themselves to mystical, satanic things. Well, of course they're not blessed. And the reason they aren't blessed is because of their generational curses. Now, if a missionary goes in and sets himself to teach these people to get their eyes open to deliver them from the power of Satan unto the power of God while he'll be in a massive war spiritually. This is the only way people in the world can be set free. You can take them all the clothes and the food and all the stuff you want to and entertain people in countries. You can do all that you want to without changing their hearts. But the basic need of people who've never heard the gospel is to hear it and to hear it again and to hear some more and some more and some more until it begins to replace everything that was not right. And in that way, when the entrance of God's word begins to give light, people now have something to grasp a hold of of the one true God and they can be blessed. But you've got to tell them that. It's just like us being taught. I don't think my family was ever taught anything. They all were very religious. Everybody went to church. My dad, of course, was a Catholic. My mother was in a Christian church, and all we ever did was go to church and do what we were taught to do, but it never affected our lives. And I could say when I got saved when I was 28 years old, I didn't know anything about the Bible. Knew nothing. I knew about Jesus walking on the water in Easter time and the stone being rolled away. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I had nothing I could hold fast to. I had nothing to have confidence in. I wasn't sure about anything the Bible said because I didn't care. That's why God puts teaching in the church. God wants us to teach his people. But so many in higher institutions today are training preachers to make people comfortable and make people happy. If you make them happy and comfortable, they'll keep coming back. They'll give, but they don't grow. They're not getting ready for heaven. They can't overcome. That's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. So you teach people like myself. God wants to bless you, Hamilton. Well, I wish he would. He said he would. Well, I know just because he said he would doesn't mean it happens. You've got to believe it. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so you preach the word, you teach the word. The word begins to have its effect and then you begin to realize, you know what? Like Bonnie and I said years ago after we had heard this message, a message like this for the first time. I remember this so well, driving home one night and she said, we've been robbed. Because we look back in our lives at her family and all the people that went through this and went through that and didn't know, didn't know that they could trust God and get out of that. They just did the best they could with every situation they went through. And this life was just tough for some of them, very dismal situations and blindness and cancer and sickness of all sorts and despondent homes. Mine too. Nobody ever taught us. Nobody ever opened us to the word to show us these things. They had no basis for getting delivered. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know I could be blessed. I didn't know that. Like Deuteronomy 28, I don't remember anybody ever talking about that. Blessed shall you be when you go out and you come in, wherever you put your hands to, your, your baskets, your store, your children. It said God will make you a holy people. I didn't know that. This is the will of the Father for his people. Or take Psalm 91. How many promises are in Psalm 91? He will take care of you. No evil shall befall you. No plague come down your dwelling. Concerning you, he will give his angels charge, and they'll keep you in all your ways. I didn't know that. And the last verse, the 16th verse, Psalm 91, with long life will I satisfy you? He didn't mean that you'll hang on and live to be an old man with unconscious or in a coma or something. He said, with long life will I satisfy you. Satisfy you. That's a promise. I think of having that particular promise and, and then telling people, I don't have any insurance on my life. I don't know if I ever did. My mother might have had something. But why would I want to turn to man for something that God gives me free? The only reason I would is because I don't believe what God said. He said, with long life will I satisfy you. My angels will watch over you and take care of you in all your ways. I'll make sure that you're blessed when you go out and you're blessed when you come in. Or Psalm 23. I'll lead you in the right places beside the still waters and so forth. And he ends that verse by saying, surely goodness... And mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the abode of God. Probably a heavenly representative of that special place that Psalm 91 talks about with him. These are promises. Nobody in this room deserves any of it. We can't even earn it. It's all grace. Everything God offers his people, everything he gives us, everything we receive from God comes from the avenue of grace. No man deserves any of it. It is God's idea to bless us. If it's God's idea to bless me, then may I certainly honor him by being blessed. Not to be cocky, not to be extravagant, not to be showy and all of that, but just to receive from God those things which he's given to me. He said he would. One of the reasons he sent the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. The Apostle Paul writes that one of the reasons 
There were more than one, of course, but one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit came was to show you what blessing is yours. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, what? Now this is your heavenly Father's gift. This is one of those verses he says, listen to this. You have not been given the spirit of this world by your father. But God has given you of his own spirit. The spirit of the almighty, the divine nature that 2 Peter talks about. That's what he's given to you that is lodged in your heart. And he said he does this. That we might know the things that are freely given to us by the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Has God given us anything? Well, of course he has. He has given us so much, but things that we can't know without that assistance from the Holy Spirit. Remember the one time Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't handle it. You're not ready for it. In verse 13 of John 16, it says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all the truth. Is all the truth a blessing? Look how many people could care less about it. And yet the few that seem to get it and taste and see that God is good and that his word is good, they're inspired by it, they want more of it, they pursue God. Oh, it's like the deer panteth after the water brook. It says, so my soul longeth after thee. What makes a person like that? What in the world would make us to live a life with that kind of desire for the Lord? It's tasted and see. The Almighty draws you to himself. He shows you something, and it works. Praise the Lord. Next thing you know, you seek more, and he gives you more. And the more you seek, the more you find. The more you knock, the more that is open to you. The more you ask, the more he gives. And for so many people said, that's too good. That can't be so. Who taught you that? Who told you it can't be so? Who tells us that we're going too far with this? I'm only reading the Bible. Just reading what he said. And when he said that he gives us the Holy Spirit, that we might know the things that are freely given to us, it obviously implies that a lot of people don't know. The only prayer they can pray with regard to things they really wish they had is, if it be thy will. They never pray that about being saved. What if you were lost and your child was lost or somebody you love was lost and they went forward to be saved or asked the Lord to save them, but prayed like this, Lord, I want you to save me if it be thy will. Is it God's will to save? I think Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Of course, it's God's will to save. You don't have to ask him if it be thy will to save you, do you? Of course not. Well, what about the blessings in Psalm 103? Who forgiveth most of your iniquities? He forgives all of your iniquities. Same verse says he heals all your diseases. Not many people believe that, therefore it's not working. I mean, they read it, of course, but somehow or another they can't connect that that's what 
God actually said. And we know he could, we know he has, but we're not convinced he will. Or he redeems your life from destruction. Is that a blessing? Or he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Is that a blessing? How about renews your youth like the eagle? Would that be a blessing? Of course it would. It's in your Bible. See, the title of this message is, If He Blesses, Are We Blessed? Are we wishing, hoping, or are we believing? Are we blessed? Well, who and in what way are we blessed? Who gets blessed? Does God bless anybody that reads the Bible? Are these blessings for anybody that just wants to pick it up and read it? And if you do pick it up and read it, will it just work? Well, who and in what way are we blessed? Let's look at a few verses. I'm not going to preach long tonight. Everything's fine, but I'm going to let you out of here in the next hour. (laughs) Number one, turn to Psalm 65, please. Psalm 65. Who and in what way are blessed? Well, number one, those are blessed whom God makes his own. Verse... Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causeth. Let me put it in English, okay? Let me read it again. Blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts, like Psalm 23 said, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Now, Blessed is the man whom who chooses? Who chooses? Who does the choosing? What if I told you tonight, nobody can be saved unless God chooses them? Is there any other proof in the Bible for that? How about John chapter 15 and verse 16? Jesus said, you did not choose me. I have chosen you. Didn't he say that? So that the choice that is made for me to become his is not a choice that I came up with. Back in the days when theology became common knowledge, when the Bible was printed, people could read for themselves. There was more interest and deeper and greater commitments by more and more people and great names began to surface. There were two views about God and his sovereignty. Sovereignty means it's absolute rule. Absolute control and absolute rule over creation. All aspects of it, everything. God is in charge. There were the Calvinists, which became the Presbyterians and the Baptists. They believed that God was sovereign and that man was depraved. And that because he was dead in his trespasses and sins... Because of his death, he was unable to one day by himself see his sins and choose God and ask God to save him. Now, the Arminians on the other side, the opposite of the Calvinists, were the Arminians. And they believed in free will, that God made man with the free will, the freedom to choose. No matter how lost he was, no matter how undone he was in his sins, 
Even the basest of men had the ability on the day that God spoke to choose God. And so there was this great debate that went back and forth over this. Most people are, won't admit it, but they're mostly Arminians. And I'm more firmly a Calvinist. But if a man is lost in his sins, what good choice can he make? None. Remember, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to the whole world. Who's going to choose it? See, this is not comfortable theology, I'll tell you now. This is not something you just can go anywhere and talk about because there's not many people that will listen and think about this. Man is unable in and of himself to choose God and be saved. If he can choose God in and of himself without any input from God, then he can do it without grace. If God simply says, all right, here's the message. There it is. Now, I'm going to let preachers preach about it. Now, any of you that want this, say yes. Any of you that don't, say no. It doesn't work like that. Nobody can do right. We are all as an unclean thing. There is no good in any man. And the only hope lost, depraved man has is for God to approach him. Because we cannot come to God, we are sinners. Only as God causes us to come, can we come. Now, if I come to the Lord, I cannot boast of the fact that, well, praise God, I could see through all that. I, we chose God because he gave us the privilege and the power to choose him. We came to God because he drew us. Wherever you are, stay there, but go to John 6 and verse 44. And I know you've heard this verse. John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except what? Does that not exclude man's ability in and of himself to make a right decision? Now that's clear. That's not murky at all. That's not given to, well, that's just your opinion. No, he said, no man can come to the Father. No man can come to Jesus except the Father which sent me draw him. So that in the mass of humanity that's out there, the only way any of us were able to come to God is for God to reach down and to draw you and bring you to him. Okay, what you thought? Most people said, well, if I just join church and get involved and get active in the church, then surely that'll qualify me for heaven. Doesn't work like that. You can't work your way to heaven. It's all grace. It is grace. My only hope, my only hope is for God to say, come here and draw me up out of the miry clay and to set my feet upon a rock and to establish my going, to put a song in my heart. I can't do any of that. He does all of that and establishes my going. It'll be praise and many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord because God will use me for his glory. But I am not able to just get saved. I can think right and I can think wrong. I can have opinions about God. I can be very religious. But I cannot of my own free will 
come to God. I must be drawn. He said, blessed. The word blessed means to be envied and happy. A state of bliss. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Now, let me ask you something else. This gets interesting. If God is talking about whom thou choosest, does it mean that many are called but few are chosen? That not everybody then is chosen? So then who is chosen? The ones whom God chooses. He said, I will choose you and cause you to come to me. If you've been called and God has brought you to him, if he's drawing you to him, you are supremely blessed more than any other single blessing that can, you can have in that life is to be brought to him is the number one super blessing. To be made, not to make yourself, but to be made a child of God by him. He will cause you to approach him. Chances are when you do approach him, it'll be with great humility and sorrow and grief of heart. Remember what the publican said when the rich man and the publican went into the temple to pray and the one said, I thank you, God, that you got a good one when you got me. No, he said, I thank you that I'm not like Hamilton over there. Remember what the publican said, what it said about him? He could not so much as lift up his eyes. He recognized in and of himself, I am a base criminal before God. I deserve nothing but a sentence of death because of my guilt. Guilt means you deserve a sentence. You're guilty. And all he could do was just hold his head down and say, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Turn to Ephesians 1 because he says you will dwell in his courts. Think of that. He drags us out of those old places that we were. Draws us out of that miry clay and that filthy kind of life that we lived. I hope none of you lived a filthy life. I'm afraid I did. And the absolute shame and utter humility that comes when you, one day you realize God chose you. Oh, he should have chose my brother, somebody that was better. And these guys over here around me, these guys are smarter. Why would he pick me? Why? Why would he pick you? Why would he pick any of you? Any of us? I don't know. I don't know, but there's a reason the Bible speaks of rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because that is a supreme blessing. It's a choice only God can make. And to think that he would make that choice with the likes of me. Oh, praise be to God. No wonder certain evangelists in history have had this passion for lost souls. They're going to hell. And unless God reaches down and touches them, they're going to die in their sins. So they go and plead with sinners to turn to Christ. Now, you don't know who will and all of that, but that's what they did, just simply because they begin to see that without Jesus, a whole mass of humanity is perishing. Again, I've told you this before, but when I was in Israel, 
the population has rejected Christ as Messiah, the only one that could have been since the dispersion in AD 70, and they've been scattered over the world for 2,000 years. All their tribal distinctions have been lost as far as I'm concerned. Maybe they haven't, but how today could anybody prove if a Messiah came today, how could you prove that he was of the tribe of Judah? How could you prove it? He had to be born in Bethlehem. That's where all the Palestinians are now, or a lot of them. I mean, how could they prove that? There's only one Messiah, and that's Jesus. Now, undeniably, he's the one. So they've rejected him. They don't have a high priest. They don't have a temple. They don't do sacrifices, which was assigned to them as a way of approaching God and being forgiven. And they haven't done that in 2,000 years, and they have no Messiah. What are they going to do? And they die every day. What hope do they have? That's why there are people who pray from their hearts for that nation. I mean, salvation is of the Jews, John 4. We owe them something. We do. Well, I do. I do. Ephesians chapter 1. Back to God is the one who chooses and makes a way. Look at verse 3. This is theological. Blessed, that's what we're talking about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath. Your Bible say hath. So it's not like we need to pray for these because they all have already been given. Hath. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places that abode the temple, the sanctuary in Christ. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before there was a world. Oh, I'm going to have to take a side trip. I like this. If you could get excited about something, get excited about this. Not that bunch of kids screaming for some idol role. Get excited about this. Before the foundation of the world, I was in the mind of God to be. Not even a world to be in. No light, no water, no sun, just void and dark. And yet in the mind of God, there was a Tom Hamilton. And before there was ever a world for us to be in, God made a choice. Do you believe that? I don't say that because I said it. But he did say in verse 4, according as he, God, hath chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, and this is what he chose us to be, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I like that. So, who is blessed? Well, supremely and first of all, those whom God has brought to himself. And if he has, now listen, I have known a lot of people in my life. I have stood before pastorally far more people than are here tonight. I've heard lots and lots of people in their lives give testimonies, talk about being saved and confessing that they're in the book of life, but they've already quit. They've already gone back into the world. Something is missing in this connection that we're supposed to have with God. You see, 
If he's called you and chose you, you have a very keen interest in spiritual things. If it's only casual, if it's just religious, if you can say, well, I go to church every Sunday, or I've knocked on a lot of doors in my life, and people say, well, we belong to the whatever church. Of course, you want to say, but you can't sit there and debate somebody in their door. They might get up flat nose, but you want to say, do you really believe that attending church is evidence of God's choice of you? It could be because that's what we would do. But do you think that attending church or teaching a Sunday school class or having a member or being baptized and what, do you really think that's it? Because you see, when God changes you, listen to, he changes your nature, the inside. I'm not the same person that I used to be, the song says. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. Remember Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark had all of these animals that went into it. Remember God brought them in? It's a picture here. God brought all of these animals. We're not animals, but he brought all these animals into the kingdom, and most of them were adversarial. I mean, the lamb and the lion, I mean, these are natural enemies. And there was a natural fear in these animals about each other. If something doesn't change in the nature of those animals as they come into the ark, the ark will be utter chaos. It'll turn over before noon. (laughs) But When they are brought in, as God brings them in, he does something to the inside of them so that when they're in there, they've lost their desire to fight and maim and hurt and to devour each other. They're different on the inside because they're no longer true to their own nature. And the ark is a type of Christ. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. What else does have? Old Things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I could say this if we were just preaching about salvation tonight, which I need to go to point two. If you're a Christian, that's happened to you. If you're just a church member, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to get yourself good enough. And you can't. You can't do it. But if you're a new person in Christ, there is something in your heart that yearns for and longs for and desires after God. You don't have to tell you what time the meeting is. Your heart compels you that I need this. Somebody wrote a song years ago. We sing in the church. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. So bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Because this is the way it's supposed to be. Church is full of too many people who confess and say they're Christian, but they act no different than they ever did. But that's not going to happen if you've got a new nature on the inside of you. So that's the supreme blessing, and it comes because God made that choice. Secondly, turn to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 1. We are blessed because we make good choices. We make good choices. God shows us what choices to make. Blessed, again, the the psalm begins with blessed. First word in the psalms, blessed. And it has to do, again, with happiness. It's a word which has to do with the state of bliss or happiness. A word which always refers to men, never refers to God. 
God doesn't need anything to be happy. We do. So God does what he does so that we can respond to him and have a testimony and so forth and not give up and quit. But in Psalm 1, he says, blessed is the man. Now, you've got to ask yourself if you're like this, because anybody can say they are, but you can ask yourself, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night, and he shall be like. And he tells you what he shall be like. We'll get to that in just a moment. Notice, before you get to the end of verse 3 where it says prosper in whatever you do, there are three negatives that you deal with. As a Christian, not only are you shown who God is and you love him and you begin to see his attributes and discover things about God you never knew, and it's kind of a thing that your heart enjoys. The inner man enjoys this, and there's a desire for that. And when you begin to see the goodness of God, at the same time, you also can see from the way you used to live in the old life, all the wicked and evil things that you did that are so offensive to God. And yes, there's a shame about it. You look and see all the things that you did and all these desires that you have that you just had to fulfill. God didn't make you like that. It's the devil who comes to kill and what? Steal and destroy. It's the devil who's warped it. I mean, Adam and Eve were doing good, and the devil came along and everything went bad. God made it to be a state of bliss, and it all got corrupted, but not because God corrupted it. It's the devil that does it. And so he says in Psalm 1, now that you're a Christian and now that you see the clean and wonderful things about the Lord, recognize this, that if you want to be blessed, the three negatives. First, blessed, he says, a man that walketh not in the advice or the counsel of the ungodly. If you need advice or counsel, I would suggest tonight that you find a Christian if you need some counsel. Somebody that can steer you with biblical principles to a right decision. This is one of the things that open up a door of blessing. And the Bible says, secondly, that he does not sit or he does not fellowship with sinners. What's he saying? Counsel on God or standeth in the way of sinners. Sometimes sinners are people you grew up with. People you've known all your life, had fun with, gone places with, fooled around with, fellowshiped with, hung out with. And when God saves you, you know you got a problem. Because they will not tolerate you talking about Jesus to refrain from cursing or from laughing at jokes. And they know you're not like that anymore. And those things are now offensive to you. You become offensive to them. And you know that you cannot hang around them without a confrontation coming. And so you withdraw yourself from that. There's no benefit in that. Even though you grew up in all of that, I mean, I'm thinking now the crowd I grew up with, the last time I was around them for a, just a little while one evening, I realized I could never again, I could never again run around with these guys. Never again. I would offend them too much. And they would offend me. 
And to abstain from the appearance of evil would mean for me to abstain from that. I'm not better than they are. I like to say that I'm better than I used to be. But I'm better than no man. And the third thing he said was, he sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. The scornful is just where the good old boys go to talk about politics and the latest news in the community. I'll tell you one blank thing, and I'll tell you what I do. See, you don't need that either. You hear enough of that on talk shows. You don't need that either because that affects your mind. Y'all know there's a word in the Bible called evil affected, and it speaks of a person's mind. And over against the evil affected, you got a verse that says, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is of a good report and so forth, think on those things. And if you're sitting around told what's wrong with everybody and this guy's a liar and that guy's a crook and this one doesn't know what he's doing, he's the worst president, everybody, he's the worst. And I'll tell you, well, to get together, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need to be in that crowd. That's not the way it's supposed to be for me. As a Christian, it's a whole new world. You know, I've caught myself many times <laughs> volunteering some of my information. Only later on in the day to thought, you know what? That's exactly what you taught people they shouldn't do, and you did it. Oh, God. At least there's a desire to repent. Lord, well, stay out of the crowd. Don't turn to that channel. Withdraw yourself from anything that's going to put you in a situation like that. I don't need to hang out somewhere I have to go through a trial. But what does he do in verse 2 in this psalm? But his delight. The word delight means a valuable thing. That which you treasure. His delight, as I said earlier about knowing God, it becomes what you want. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, what does he do? He meditates, he ponders, thinks about, mulls over in his mind. Day and night, it's just the word of God is on his mind. One of the reasons it is because the people you're talking to and hanging around and discussing matters with are the same way. You know, when God sees the righteous getting together, he takes note of it in the book of Malachi. He takes note of that. We're getting together talking about spiritual things a lot. We can talk about the weather and about, you know, the difficulty of a lot of people are having with the flooding and all. But that doesn't mean we have to all day say, no, let's just quote the scripture. If you want to talk to me, quote the scripture. No, we can still function in this world. We can still work at some mechanic shop or paint a house or fix something and do something. We can still do that. You can't get away from sinners in that kind of a situation, but he's not talking about in the world around sinners. He's talking about desiring that crowd for your pleasure. No, you don't do that. Your delight is in the word of God, and in that word, day and night, you meditate. What's the third verse say? This is the blessing. You do the first two. This is the blessing. You shall be, he shall be, she shall be like a tree planted by the water. That's life. And there will always be fruit, and the leaf will always be green. But the latter part of that verse says what? Whatsoever he doeth, she doeth, they doeth, shall prosper. The word also means have good success. Or they will fare well. They will do well. 
or it means that they will prosper. Prosper as prosper. That's a reward of the Lord too. And so here's two verses so far. The first two, the next four will go quicker. But remember this, God chooses. God puts holiness in your heart. You withdraw from evil. You become to the Lord. And as the more you do it his way, he opens up a door to you that everything you do, the choices, your business, your work, your home, the atmosphere of your home, the job, your need for money and this or that, or he makes it work. It works for you. And hopefully others will see that, you know, I thought the economy was doing pretty bad, but it looks like you're doing pretty good. You can't say, well, I'm pretty cool. No, you don't do that. You simply say, well, I'm just trying to live the way God has shown me to live, and he's obviously blessing what I'm doing. Is it okay to say that? But can you say that? See, you should be able to say that. Can you? Another thing, turn also, if you will, to James chapter 1. Who shall be blessed? Those who endure testing. Why would God test you? Don't answer all of it once, but I'll tell you why. God will see to it, as I mentioned Sunday, he will see to it that you are tested so that you can be proven. Again, not everybody that says, I'll trust you, Lord, will. But you put a man in a situation where he can now trust the Lord because there's nothing else that he can do except run to the world. And he's been taught to trust the Lord. Now, either he will or he won't, but it'll be a test. Or the smiting on one cheek and turning the other cheek. What if you had that test? Would you turn the other cheek? Took you to court and sued you for this. Would you give them the other also? If it took you to court and took your car, say, I got some snow tires in the garage. Let me go get them. You say, well, that's unheard of. Well, it is maybe in the world, but it's not unheard of in the Bible. Maybe it's a test. You prove yourself. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, blessed. Now, it's still in there. You still be blessed. He still talks about us being blessed. And he says, blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Temptations are trials, testings, situations that you prove yourself to be what you said you were. For when he is tried, and that word means approved, once you have passed the test, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man. It's interesting that the Greek word for blessed here means possessing the favor of God. God's favor, his special endowment rests upon you. If you can handle it, even as you go through trials. From our side, we don't know if we can make it or not. But remember the little boy was trying to chin himself on the bar and he just couldn't do it by himself? You remember what the father did? As the little boy was about to fall and he just couldn't do it, the father put his hands on his hips and gave him just enough help that with all of his might, all of his might, he got his chin up there and then he dropped down. 
Now, he could not have done it with the assist he had from the Lord. Some need a whole lot. If he had grabbed me, he had had to grab me around my ankles and do that. See. But God does that. We're going to make it. God's people are going to make it. God who started a good work is going to finish it. And he said in 1 Peter 5, after we have gone through our struggles and suffered this and suffered that, he said when we've done that, God will complete the work. Nobody that God has plucked out of the world out there and brought and planted in his course, none of these people are going to go through life without the assistance and the help of God. They are all going to be helped because God knows we need it. He tells us to call upon him. He tells us to pray. He tells us to ask, even though he already knows the end from the beginning, because he knows that we're going to learn to rely on him. We can't do it ourselves. He's going to assist us. He's going to help us. He's going to open doors for us. He's going to close doors, make a way for us. He's just going to guide us through life, because that's how we're going to make it. Because we can't make it by ourselves. Even the Holy Spirit is called a helper. He doesn't come to do anything for you. He comes to help you, to comfort you, to assist you. But we're going to have to give it our very best shot. We can't say, oh, well, no matter, God will do it. No, no. It's going to cost you everything. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom, Peter wrote. Or Peter wrote, it is with difficulty that a righteous man is saved. Because while we have all these wonderful promises of God's assistance, only way I know that you can prove that you're one of his is by the fact that you don't look back, you don't turn back, you keep your hand on the plow, and as you go through life struggling, you feel like you're going to fail and fall, and he comes by, like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, to show us that we can't do it without him. Remember Paul once said we were in this ship going down and we had the sentence of death in us? We had the sentence of death. As far as we were concerned, we're going to die. But God rescued us. He wasn't through with Paul. And Paul will have to tell us, and all of us that make it to heaven will have to know that so many times in our life we would have never made it if God hadn't come there and did what he promised to do with his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I will go before you. I will be your rear guard. No evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling. He'll give his angels charge concerning you. They'll keep you in all your ways, not even dashing your foot against a stone because God has his eye upon you at all times. Let me give you a great one. Let me give you a great one. Psalms 32, 8. I will teach thee and instruct thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Or as one translation says, I will counsel thee with my eye upon thee. Think of that. Little Bonnie Olson. Little thing came into the world, didn't know anything about God. And God had his hand on that little girl all her life. And she grew up and became a big girl. And here's little Tommy, little Tommy Willis. Little fellow was just such a mess, poor little soul. And it's just miserable little old thing. And one day he raised up and God saved Tommy and God saved Bonnie. The most two unlikely people in this room were brought together. 
like one of those commercials where two things collided and like a nuclear, boom, that was us, boom. How could it work? How could it be? If God doesn't do it, we can't. If he doesn't help us, we can't make it. And yet, he said he would. He said, blessed is the man who endures. Don't give up. Don't fall down and say, I can't do it. Don't get on the phone and call Mabel because she's crying just as loud as you are. <laughs> if Mabel is in here tonight, I meant Susie Ray. I don't think anybody named Susie Ray. Call upon the Lord. Sometimes you say, Lord, I don't know if I can do this or not, but I, I'm going to try. That's what that boy did with that chin bar. I'm going to get up and hold on. I'm going to do what I can. And God said, I told you I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to look back. You don't have to give up and you don't have to quit. But you can set a watch before that mouth and you can tape that mouth up with heavenly tape and not sin with your mouth. And you can just let God finish the work he started. Praise God. Hallelujah. The fourth thing, those who are blessed will endure chastisement. The Bible says that every man that God brings to him, well, like Psalm 94, 12, he says, blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Proverbs 3.11 says, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked by him. It says that in Hebrews 12. Chastening has to do with two things. It can be used two ways, and it's seen in two ways. Chastening can be teaching, instruction. It could be verbal instruction when somebody is wrong, and you accost that person and say, look, that was wrong. This is right. And you're teaching them. It could be what I'm doing now. You're being chastened now. But that's not the way we understand the word generally. We need to understand the word chastening generally as discipline, correction. And it means that also. And is it not true that all of us, when God brings us to him, need to be fixed, corrected, and changed? And sometimes we don't really want to be corrected, so God chastens us so we will be corrected. You know what he said about those who are without that? It's a really rough word to use, bastard, but we use the word illegitimate because you're not the real thing. If you're always trying to get out, trying to make excuses, find some way you don't have to do this and, and always trying to avoid and, uh, and take the easy way out of everything and not, then perhaps you're not his. And maybe that's the reason you wonder why you're not blessed with the Lord. He said so much he would. You go to church, you give money, you do this, you do that. Why am I not blessed? Because that's not why he said you get blessed. You get blessed because you make application of the scripture as God taught you because God said it. It's unto God. And you do it that way and for that reason. And so when he said, Blessed is a man whom thou chasteneth and teacheth out of thy law, you've got to want to be taught. But then again, everybody that God causes to come to him wants to be taught. There's a hunger and a thirst in there. If there's no hunger and no thirsting, you come when you want to. You don't really see any great need for this. 
And there's not much I, you, or anybody else can do when people have that kind of an attitude. You just can't. You just can't. But as I've said to the Lord more than once, I don't let this go to y'all's head. But there's enough hungry people here to merit all the time you have to spend in teaching them. Two or more is all it takes. Give me two hungry souls and they'll bring out of you whatever the Lord wants you to say. Amen. Amen. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Have you been corrected? If you're without chastisement, you're not his. But everyone that God loves, he chastens. He's not going to leave Thomas alone. Either one of the Thomases here. There's two of us. You make sure that we get caught. When we run that mouth and everything else that we shouldn't do, he makes sure that we get caught. Make sure you feel bad. You ruin the rest of your day. Man, uh, God isn't going to let you enjoy life on his terms if you don't want to live on his terms. And if Christianity is anything, it's living on his terms. And when you're not doing things right and he assigned himself to you to save you, he is going to fix you. He is going to deal with you. What did Job go through before he learned what he learned? Remember what he said at the end? He said, I've heard of you. I had a lot of theology and opinions about you. He didn't say that. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now I see who you are. And I cannot believe I said the stuff that I said. You know, I bet you from that time on in Job's life, he lived in a conscious awareness of God the rest of his life. Fifthly. Those who are going to be blessed are those who are going to watch, pay attention to what's going on in the world. Let me briefly read in Luke chapter 12 and verse 36 these words. Luke 12, verse 36. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord. Now, waiting in Isaiah 30 and verse 18 is another condition for being blessed, but we'll leave that for later. And you yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Now, blessed, here's our word, blessed, verse 37, are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Shall find watching. Not what channel will they be. No, he says... When he comes, he shall find watching, that is, looking for him. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and he will come forth and serve them. It doesn't matter when he comes, they just know that Jesus is coming. Remember that old hymn, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Remember that? But those who watch... Sixthly, man, we're moving. Sixthly, only seven, number six. Seven points, number six. This is interesting, but those who are going to be blessed in one verse in Psalm 41, if you want to turn over to Psalm 41, it's those who are bountiful with a view towards the poor. The poor. Now, bountiful is used in a lot of ways, of course. It means to be generous, one who gives, one who bestows gifts. Bountiful is used in those ways. But this is a marvelous 
section of scripture, the first three verses of Psalm 41 are absolutely marvelous because of how we need it today, what he promises here. There are five specific, maybe six specific promises. Each promise is a blessing because he begins this psalm like he did Psalm 1 by saying, blessed. Well, if you want to be blessed, listen to this. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Considereth means to act with insight or to be prudent, to have wisdom, to be thoughtful and thinking about it. If God puts things on your heart, you don't let it go, you think about it. Considereth. He said, blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. That means we will have trouble. It means that there's times that trouble will have you. That with all our ideas and theology and doctrines, there's times in your life that you're going to find yourself accosted by trouble. Not because you've done something wrong. Jesus had more trouble than all of us. Doesn't your Bible say he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin? You don't have to sin to have trouble in this life. You just have to be on earth. And there will be times that God will allow trouble. He allowed with Jesus. The devil took him here up on a high mountain. The devil took him here. The devil tempted him. He suffered. He hungered. He wept. He grieved. He was like us. Because if he could do it in his flesh, if he went through that in his flesh, don't think it's strange if you go through the same thing. And if he could overcome all those things, then you can too. Because he showed you how. John 16, 33, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But back in Psalm 41, if you will consider the poor. The poor are always going to be with us, the Bible said. It doesn't have to be you, but they will be here. The poor are not the less fortunate. Sometimes there are those with those generational curses who just get robbed all the time. They have holes in their pocket. They can't make ends meet. They can't balance anything. They're always suffering and struggling financially. They overspend. They're not thoughtful about what they're doing. And sometimes we can say, well, that's got himself in a hole. That's his problem. And sometimes it is his problem. But then there are those people who are legitimately poor that are trying, but maybe it's no education, no job, no drive, no something. But here's what he said. If you will consider the poor, that doesn't just mean, well, you know, I'm thinking about the poor, so therefore I qualify. He's obviously implied here, thinking here, that if you will consider the poor and do something about it. Well, I don't have much. It's just like these little baby bottles we're going to pass out Sunday for those that are less well off and that you are, you can have a role in helping somebody. You sent your money to Guatemala so we could minister to those people down there. You can do something. We can all have a role in improving somebody's life or somebody's circumstances. It's not our role to support the poor. It's not our role to make it well for them anyway, even though they're going to go back into it, it's for us to be considerate of them and thoughtful about them because there's going to be times that God's going to put on your heart to help them. You say, well, I don't have anything. Everybody's got something. 
I don't have anything. All right, take your coat, take your winter jacket, which you, you might not need, and sell it for, for 50 cents and give that to them. See, everybody's got something. It's just that we don't want to do it, but everybody's got something. But listen at this. You, you consider the poor, one, God will deliver him in time of trouble. That is, he will provide a way of escape. Secondly, the Lord will preserve him. That means to guard you, to watch over you. And you might want to make this three, but I've got it as part of two. And will keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. In other words, you're not going to die suddenly from the wrong kind of thing. God's going to preserve you. Do you see that? Okay, so there goes my accident insurance. All right, anyway. And thou will not deliver him into the will of his enemies. Maybe that's sort of some jihad going on in our country. Maybe you're on the list. And they want you. I don't care if it's that or your neighbor across the street that'd like to burn your house down. Your Bible says all you got to do is have a spiritual mind approaching God with the desire to do things his way. And God said he will not give you over to the desire of your enemies. Now that's what he said. Whether it's a bully at school or whether it's somebody that wants to do worse than that. The fourth thing he said, the Lord will strengthen you on the bed of languishing. Now that means, folks, there's going to be times in this life you're probably going to find yourself languishing. Otherwise, why would you need this? The dictionary said the strength and support of God's hand on a person upon the bed of languishing. It describes the illnesses of a righteous man. There may be times you will find yourself flat on your back. Have any of you ever fought through or had to deal with an illness in your lifetime? I grew up sick. I've had to battle things my whole life. Most of the time, nobody knows anything about it. Sometimes you can't help. Everybody knows about it. But sometimes that happens. But my promise is, here it goes back to the poor. If I am considerate towards willing to be bountiful towards the poor, God will make sure that if things like that come my way, they will also go. Because what did he say in the last part of that third verse? He said he will make all of his bed in his sickness. Does your Bible say that? Yes. It denotes some kind of an illness. It is modified to indicate an illness that is strong or hangs on. It must go. Whatever that thing is, it comes. Whatever it is, you got a promise tonight. You can put your finger on Psalm 41 and verse 3, and you can say to God, it has to go. I'll tell you what, do. put your finger right there. Just put it on there right now. You say, well, I don't have anything. Well, put it on there because you haven't put your finger on anything all day long, all right? Put it on there. And say this, God will make all my bed in any illness I have. And he will deliver me from it. Amen. Welcome to healing and health then. I didn't write this. God did. And finally, I'd like to say this. Just remember that whatever the blessings are, and there's so many more in the Bible, there's just blessings for those who fear the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, those who do a lot of things. We can't read them all. 
But one we can read and close with tonight is Proverbs 10 and verse 22, a very short verse. You might want to draw a circle around this one or underline it because this is a wonderful promise and I claim it for myself. The blessing of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord maketh what? The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. That word literally means rich. Well to do. Why wouldn't it though? Why wouldn't it? I think there's a promise in the Bible like this, but if your heavenly father says that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, and he's talking about money. I don't mean we're supposed to walk around bulging pockets. I'm not talking about that. For some of us, we're quite content with what we have because I don't need any more. If I told you tonight, I don't need any more than I have. I don't need big offerings. I'm not even trying to get them. We don't take up one. Have we taken up one? Because God blesses me. I didn't say quit giving. I'm just saying that God blesses me. You can if you want to. That's up to you. But a bountiful eye, a bountiful soul, he will abound with blessings. And when God brings it, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And God adds what to it? No sorrow. I will not stand here and say, well, I got blessed again this week. The IRS sent me $171. I'm sorry. That, just, that stuff bothers me. Let's pray. I think any time they send you a nickel, it's a time to rejoice. Amen. Amen. Well, close your Bibles and stand to your feet with me. Praise the Lord.